Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today I'm going to be putting my forensic psychiatrist hat on and analyzing the Christine Ford versus Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, it's not really a trial or a case, but um, it is something that has been mesmerizing us uh, for... <laughs> For way too long, you're probably thinking, yes, um, you know, we're all kind of sick of this in a way, and yet in another way, we are glued to it like a train wreck. And I am particularly, although I'm kind of sick of hearing about it too, <laughs> there are more important things in this whole topic, in this, um, this drama that is the soap opera that is playing out before our eyes than just the story of these two people. There are uh, super important um, sequelae or um, uh, ramifications of what is going on there, and not just about whether he's going to be, you know, named to be on the Supreme Court or not, but there are um, major things that this is reflecting in our society that are, I think, uh, indications, red flags, that we are going down the rabbit hole. This is like Alice in Wonderland falling down the rabbit hole. There are so many things that are surreal in what is going on in America today, and it is incredibly disturbing. Now, I have been uh, watching this. I've been doing interviews about this, and so um, I have been taking notes. I watched um, both of their live testimony uh, in the Senate, and I've been taking notes on all of this and reading about it and so on. So I am going to portray for you, discuss for you, analyze um, some of the things that are most worrisome uh, and most important. And I just want to preface this all by saying I think one of the things that horrifies me the most is that, you know, as I said, I'm going to be analyzing this today as a forensic psychiatrist, putting my forensic psychiatrist hat on. I've been a forensic psychiatrist and expert witness for over 20 years. Uh, I've testified in all kinds of cases, civil, criminal, high profile, and including sexual harassment and rape cases. Now, again, wanna, <laughs> do want to clarify here because I think this is one of the important things. She, none of the women, um, Christine Ford, nor the other two women who are rather ridiculous, Deborah Ramirez and Julie Swetnick, um, none of them have alleged that Kavanaugh raped them, which I think somehow gets lost in all of this talk about uh, sex or what happened or didn't happen or beds and lines and all of that. So let's just be clear. No one is saying that Kavanaugh raped them. Okay, so, um, uh, as I was saying, I've done all these different kinds of cases, and the way these cases work, let's just say, if there was a woman, and, you know, and I, I've been on both sides of these cases, uh, both on, typically it's a woman plaintiff, a woman who is alleging sexual harassment or some kind of sexual assault, 
um, again, and that it was a man, and they allege that it was a man who did it, although I've also been involved in cases where the um, man, the, the person who is alleging the sexual assault is a man. This was primarily in the priest abuse cases, so it does happen that men are assaulted by men, or women for that matter. I've had cases like that. So I have been around the block in these kinds of cases. And the way they happen is, uh, let's just say it's a woman. It's easier to uh, and more frequent to think of it that way. So the woman um, believes that she was sexually assaulted, and she goes to a lawyer, and she tells the lawyer her story. And if the lawyer believes that it's credible, he files a lawsuit against the man um, who she said assaulted her. And that starts a whole chain of events. Uh, The man, when he gets the subpoena, typically that's how it happens, he gets a subpoena and he discovers um, that he's being sued for sexual assault. I mean, sometimes there are things that go before that, like the woman or her lawyer will call the man and say that they're going to file a lawsuit and they try to you know, get the man to pay them money before they file the lawsuit uh, with the threat that if he doesn't pay, they will file a, law- a lawsuit. So, but let's just say um, when there isn't a, a threat, you know, uh, trying to shake the man down for money or for something else, like a promotion or some other um, thing that the woman wants, in, in most cases, it's just that the man discovers he is the, uh, a defendant in a lawsuit. Now, we're talking now about the average, everyday kind of case, not uh, Judge Kavanaugh, and, uh, but I'm trying to uh, let you understand how this, these things usually play out. So, okay, so the man gets a lawyer. He finds he's being sued. He gets a lawyer, of course. And the two lawyers start um, battling it out in court and start doing what's called discovery, meaning that each lawyer asks for certain um, documents from the other lawyer to try to prove their side of the case. And then they pick an expert witness, or, or oftentimes there's more than one. You know, I get involved when they need a psychiatric expert witness. So if it's the mother's, the mother, the woman's side, um, she wants the psychiatric expert witness to prove her emotional distress damages. That is, she's saying that this man who sexually assaulted her caused her tremendous uh, emotional distress. And um, But she can't just say that and get money for it. <laughs> um, she has to prove it. So uh, that's where, you know, that's why she and her lawyer get a psychiatrist like myself to evaluate her and um, decide and have what's called... So, so like in a case like that, I would read all the records that they have gathered. I would usually ask for more records because there are usually things that uh, they didn't realize that they needed. And, you know, I see when I read some records, I see that there are other records, other things that are mentioned that other doctors, for example, that she went to or other places where she worked or just various kinds of things where I would like documents from there. So then I tell the lawyer I want more records to read. So when I'm finished with what I think is all of the records, then I do what's called an independent psychiatric examination or independent medical examination. And I evaluate the woman, and it's a whole day. It's, um, it starts out with her filling out a questionnaire. 
then I take that questionnaire and I go into all of her, the questions and the answers in much more detail. And that's the majority of the day. Usually it starts at 9 in the morning and ends at 9 at night. And I give the person an hour for lunch and an hour for dinner. And the rest of it is primarily me talking to them. I also give them some psychological tests. And, um, but I start with birth. I start, so actually I start with, uh, you know, her grandparents. Uh, I talk about their medical history. Um, you know, in the questionnaire, it's things like for the person and their family, medical history, psychiatric history, uh, job history, where she lived, what her relationship was with her mother and her father. And her, I go through every year of her school. You know, what was first grade like for you? What do you remember about first grade? Uh, which may seem, you know, you may be scratching your head and thinking, why would I need to know what happened in first grade? <laughs> because things come out from childhood. I mean, that is the most important time in terms of psychological um, trauma. And um, so things come out that later on have a meaning. So, for, for example, uh, asking about what the person wanted to be when they were in high school or junior high school. And then, you know, perhaps they've gotten in a career that uh, is not as satisfying, and that's really why they're disgruntled. There are all kinds of things. It's, it's you know, it's not, it's not usually, um, I don't know what I'm going to find when I ask about first grade, for example. But then some things are more obviously important, like, you know, the relationship between this person and their mother, this person and their father, were their parents divorced, um, all kinds of things from their life, their whole social history, when did they start dating, who did they date, um, that's super important if it's a sexual assault case, um, married, children, you know. Anything you can think of about a person's life is what I uh, ask about in this full day of questioning. Then um, I put it together in a report and I uh, get and have to testify under oath in deposition and trial. And similarly, if I am on, if I'm retained by the man, the defendant, I do the same thing. I actually, I do it with the woman, and I sometimes also do it with the man to try to get a sense of whether he is someone where a sexual assault would fit into his character and also his current state. Um, and so one of the things that, that typically I find with women who allege sexual assault, I mean, you know, obviously a lot of times it is the truth, and that comes out. And um, yes, if a woman really has been sexually assaulted, they really do suffer significant psychological uh, effects. You know, it can be, it can be, they can be um, mild or they can be severe. They can be something that um, makes the woman um, eventually become an alcoholic or a drug addict or, um, you know, it gives her, PT, it can give her PTSD. It can make her fearful of being in relationships with men in the future. I mean, it can have significant, horrible results. But sometimes the women are lying. Um, out and out lying, malingering, uh, because they are angry at this man or because they want money or because they want their 15 minutes of fame if it's a high-profile case. Um, and a lot of times, the women aren't out and out lying. That is, they don't realize that they're lying. They're not purposely doing this to get something from the man. But they are mistaken, they have mistaken the man who they um, are accusing for someone in their past 
who, they, who really did sexually assault them. Typically, it's their father or an uncle or a stranger. And they, years later, they may have repressed those memories of being sexually abused as a child, for example. And then years later, it comes out against a man. I've, many times it's against a man who looks like their father or reminds them in some way of their father. Or sometimes, a lot of times also, these are women who um, were having an affair with their boss, let's say. And um, they expected that their boss was going to divorce his wife and marry them. And time goes on, and they're having a relationship, um, and it comes time when they, you know, time's, time's up for the man when they expect him to leave his wife, and he isn't. And um, that, you know, causes her to be a woman scorned, and um, sometimes that might result in her purposely lying, malingering to get back at this man. And sometimes it just triggers memories of um, her having been sexually assaulted by a man in her childhood. Now, how does this, what does this have to do with Christine Ford? A lot. Because I believe that Christine Ford was sexually assaulted, just not by Brett Kavanaugh. When we come back, I'll tell you more about um, why I think this and dissect her testimony and later on, we're going to dissect his testimony. But from what I've talked about so far, what I want you to get is this normally goes through a whole long process. It can take a year or two for things to go on that I was describing from the time that the woman goes to a lawyer to sue a man who she claims sexually assaulted her, whether he actually did or not, whether it turns out that he did or not, um, this is a whole process with document gathering and expert witnesses and a court and a trial and a jury. It is not something that happens in, in 24 hours, you know, coming and, and, and not in the Senate, not in front of a Senate where the person um, questioning her, who I think was really good, the prosecutor, um, she was really good in the time that she was allotted, five-minute segments, but that is, no one has questioned her. No one has, ta- has a, no psychiatrist has examined her for a day and done psychological testing and asked about her whole life, but yet she is allowed to come before not just the Senate, but the whole country, the whole world for that matter, and tell all these things about a man who she believes has sexually assaulted her. That whole thing is just a travesty. Whether, you know, whatever it turns out that it seems like, you know, which does not seem to me like like he did do that. There is no proof. There is no proof. She could offer no proof whatsoever that he did it. But this was without the process, the normal process, that a woman making these claims goes through, whether it, actually did happen in, in reality that the man sexually assaulted her or not. That is not the point. The point is she just came and made all these allegations and the whole world listened. There were no experts on either side. And that is just a travesty. If we're not going to have um, trials like this, if this is not going to, these kinds of issues aren't going to be, be brought before trials, courts, then we don't need a Supreme Court. And so whether Brett Kavanaugh gets on the Supreme Court or not is not an issue. We don't, what do we need courts for if people can just go out in public and internationally um, just claim that someone did something to them, murder them, rape them, whatever it is? All right. Well, we'll talk more about this when we come back. Thank you for um, 
listening to uh, the uh, Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting on my forensic psychiatrist hat today and analyzing the Christine Ford versus Brett Kavanaugh soap opera. Um, I was trying to think of which, which of the soap operas would be best to describe them. Bold and the Beautiful, Young and the Restless, As the World Turns, I don't know, <laughs> you decide. Um, so I'm going to go now into analyzing her uh, testimony before the Senate. Um, going along with what I was just talking about, she started off, she was t- talking about how, um, about this alleged sexual assault and uh, her allegations against Brett Kavanaugh, claiming that it was him who did this, he. Um, and she talked about how it was, she was at a party at somebody's house, she doesn't know whose house, she doesn't know where, um, she doesn't know how she got there. Uh, she claims to know who was there except the people who she has identified as being there. None of them remember any such party. None of them have any recollection um, of Brett Kavanaugh having done anything to her. And particularly, there's a woman who she uh, mentions as being one of the people at the party, a woman named Leland Kaiser. Now, 
if you um, have if something, if, if a boy, this is during high school, very important to mention, this was during high school. She was allegedly 15 and Brett was 17 when this allegedly occurred. And, um, uh, you know, you have to, I, I'm, I must say, it makes me question, what was she doing at this alleged party that nobody else remembers um, to begin with, there was only one other girl at the party, and there were, according to her report, four boys. Now, why would a 15, I mean, I know t- now today, okay, today that <laughs> people wouldn't you know, think there was anything much wrong with that, but this is going back 36 years. Why was this 15-year-old girl at a party where there was presumably another girl of about the same age and boys, you know, of the same age or a little older? What did she, why did she put herself in that situation to begin with? Um, in any case, <laughs> none of these people who were supposedly there remember anything about it. And, um, and so she started talking about how she was at this party. She went upstairs to go to the bathroom. Um, it's, you know, it's amazing. She describes some things in the house, but she doesn't know where exactly, you know, what street it was on or how she got there. I mean, you know, she admits to drinking one beer, right? We, we can believe that she only drank one beer, okay, um, at this party. And, but so you can see maybe if she didn't remember how she got home. But how she got there, she doesn't remember. And yet we're supposed to believe all the rest of the things that she talks about, notably that Brett Kavanaugh assaulted her. So she claims she went upstairs to go to the bathroom, and um, Brett and this other boy, Mark Judge, um, pushed her into a bedroom and got on top of her on the bed, notably that Brett got on top of her, and put his hand over her mouth so that she couldn't scream uh, because she started to, and, and Mark supposedly put up the, um, the uh, music so that uh, people wouldn't hear her scream, and she claims that Brett was on top of her and was trying to take off her clothes. And that if it hadn't been that she just happened to be wearing a bathing suit under her clothes, although she can't explain that, you know, like they were asking her whether she came from, uh, from a club, was she swimming or whatever, she's very hazy about all of that stuff. But she fortunately happened to be wearing a bathing suit under her clothes, and were it not for this bathing suit, and were it not for the fact that he was stumbling drunk, as was his friend, um, and were it not that his friend jumped on the bed uh, and kind of, like, pushed them apart, like, haphazardly, you know, like um, roughhousing kind of thing, uh, that they fell apart because he jumped on the bed, not that he purposely pushed them apart. Um, if it hadn't been for all this stuff where she had this moment to escape to the bathroom and then somehow she managed to get from the bathroom to out the door of the house, um, she would have been raped is her contention. And she talks about how it was hard for her to breathe because Brett was on top of her and that, if it, and that she was terrified. The scariest part of all this was that she was terrified he would accidentally kill me. Brett would accidentally kill her, not, not meaning to kill her, but just accidentally, not quite clear how, but, you know, presumably because of his heavy weight on her or his putting his hand over her, you know, so that she couldn't breathe. I mean, it was so that she couldn't yell, but 
like, was she worried that she wouldn't be able to breathe? That, that, that isn't clear either. She doesn't explain how he was going to kill her, accidentally, of course. Um, but in any case, now, what this, I've heard lots of women talk about sexual assault and rape, whether they're in a case or just um, women who are in therapy uh, for, and either for or it comes up in therapy that they were sexually assaulted. And they talk about um, <coughs> feeling a heavy weight on top of them and, uh, and feeling like they were going to be crushed. Well, it, these women are talking about experiences when they were little girls and the men who were so heavy on them and who, you know, they, they felt like they couldn't breathe and all of that. These men were men. These were fathers, these were uncles, these were strangers, these were friends of the family. These were big men, you know, grown men, compared to little girls, which is why I think that, uh, indeed, um, Christine was sexually assaulted, um, but by a grown man when she was a little girl. So let's look at some of the other things that she said in her testimony. Um, She talked about how this came out when she was in marital therapy for the first time. That's, you know, she didn't tell any. Well, she's kind of changed her story, but um, she talked about how it came out in, in marital therapy. And um, oftentimes women in marital therapy, if they have been sexually abused or not, <laughs> um, they will bring up, they will mention that they were sexually assaulted uh, as, as an explanation for why they don't want to have sex as often with their husband or various sexual difficulties that they're having that bring them into therapy to begin with. And, in, and when the women were sexually assaulted, this is, this is one of the symptoms, this is one of the problems that women can have when they were sexually assaulted uh, when they were a child or earlier in their life. But now she was talking about how it came up when they were quibbling over a remodel because she talked about how she, had, she was claustrophobic and she needed to have two doors to her house and I, it really wasn't quite clear how it came up over a remodel, but in any case. Now, um, she said that the, the therapist, what she said about the therapist is very interesting and inaccurate. She talked about how therapists write about symptoms, not story. When she was asked by the prosecutor, Rachel Mitchell, about her therapy um, and why it wasn't in the therapy notes that uh, the incident was mentioned more often. That was her excuse. Like, you know, therapists don't write about the person's story. They write about the person's symptoms. Well, (laughs) I don't know what she's talking about. Yes, you can write about symptoms, but you certainly write about the patient's story. I mean, I take notes in my sessions all the time, and um, I'm writing about their story. Yes, if they say they have, you know, let's say claustrophobia or something, I write about that too. But what is more interesting is the story because that's how the symptoms came about. Then um, one thing that wasn't asked, um, you know, I guess because they didn't want to embarrass her or something or other, um, they never asked her whether she had an abortion. Now, if this had been regular, done like it's normally done, uh, for example, if she had been in my office, one of the questions that I have on my questionnaire is how many um, how many children you have, 
and uh, how many pregnancies you ha- you've had, and whether how many surgeries, you know, what, what's, not just how many, but what surgeries have you had. So obviously if a woman has had an abortion, it would come up in one of these different ways. But nobody asked her whether she had an abortion. Now, why is that important? Because um, if this whole thing is um, conveniently made up, either where she knows that it wasn't Brett, but she has been talked into this by uh, the Me Too movement and or the Democrats who don't want to see Brett Kavanaugh be be chosen as um, a Supreme Court justice, Uh, If she, you know, maybe it didn't have anything to do with those, well, it had something to do with those those political uh, groups, but in any case, there could have even been a more personal reason. If she had an abortion and she was um, happy to have, I mean, no no woman is ever happy to have had an abortion, but I mean, if she felt that that was the right thing to have done at the time, or maybe she doesn't think it was the right thing to have done, and she's she's conflicted over it. In any case, with all of this uh, politically motivated um, reporting about how he is, how Kavanaugh, if he's a Supreme Court justice, is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, that could have something to do with it. That could unconsciously be a factor in why she is saying that it's Brett Kavanaugh. Well, um, I know the the uh, break came up kind of quickly, but when we come back, <laughs> we will talk more about her testimony and all of the questionable parts of it that didn't uh, get to be uh, probed because the prosecutor only had was only allowed five minute segments. You know, when I when I think about what I do. Um, in my my uh, independent psychiatric examinations, if I only had five minutes at a time to talk to the person, I, I mean, you can never get out the deeper um, issues, never get to their deeper story. Well, stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. As you can tell, I am on a tear about this. So much of this whole thing enrages me, notably the fact that this is not being done in the proper setting, a court, a court of law with the proper um, free, uh, all of the things that, goes be, that go before someone, a woman, uh, like Christine Ford, testifies in front of a court, in front of a jury, and a judge, <laughs> Uh, not the Senate, and um, it, it's just, and, and you know, the, doing it over time with all of these investigations um, is, you know, and, and experts and documents and all of that um, in front of a court is a, is, is, it's just is a much better way of doing it, and um, the fact, as I was saying, that she is allowed to just defame him uh, in front of the world because the world is watching, you know, that's another thing I think about how, how embarrassing this is for America, you know? I mean, other countries are thinking, what? This woman is just saying that this guy uh, sexually assaulted her and everybody is glued to this and she's allowed to just say it with no proof whatsoever? Whatsoever. Not one person. All right, let me go back to some of the things that she testified about that just, um, you know, I was, I was watching it and I was uh, furiously typing away, typing notes that, uh, about things that she said that were just driving me nuts. Um, if you watch some of it, perhaps you noticed, she, she's, oh, she's a psychologist, by the way, and um, I, not one that seems to do therapy, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, I'm not positive as to all of what she does, but it seems like she's more of a researcher. And one of the things, when she was talking, she was asked hard questions in the Senate. She would lapse into talking about, um, you know, the things that she does research about, cortisol, adrenaline, fight or flight, hippocampus, all these, you know, I'd call it psychobabble, but it's really like neuropsychobabble. Um, you know, that was such a telling red flag that when, when you could just tell when she was squirming because she would resort to this neuropsychobabble and try to throw people off because, you know, a lot of people on the, on the Senate wouldn't know exactly what she meant when she described these various things. Um, so she, that was her way of trying to say, I know more than you, I'm right, I'm smarter, right? Um, she was saying how she was 100% certain that it was Kavanaugh, all the, despite the fact that she had no proof whatsoever that it was, that it was true. Now, <laughs> she talked about how the first time it came out was in therapy, and the woman who she mentioned as having been at the party, this Leland Kaiser, who, by the way, is um, has you know didn't hasn't testified. She she and the other people at the party, um, you know, have submitted uh, under penalty of perjury or penalty of felony. They called it, which is pretty bad in itself. <laughs> Same thing, really. Um, so that's Leland Kaiser, Patrick. Smith and um, and Kavanaugh and uh, Mark Judge. Um, when there was some wait, there was some wait a minute. There was somebody else as well. Anyhow, um, but the 
people at the party, the four boys and the other girl, um, and but Leland, you know, if you if that had happened the way I described it, um, that she, you know, this ha- she, upstairs at a party, and the reason why she they didn't hear her supposedly is because um, because Brett's friend put the music up louder and he put his hand over her mouth when she tried to scream, but. You come down the stairs, I mean, people don't notice you looking disheveled and upset, and she just runs out the door, and who would be the person you would tell first in that kind of circumstance? It would be the other girl at the party, not necessarily at that moment. I mean, yeah, you know, you might, that would be one thing to do. We still don't know how she got home, right? Um, They proved, uh, the, the prosecutor who was questioning her proved that she couldn't have walked home. It was too far unlikely, especially after this upsetting event, sexual assault. Um, but wouldn't she have spoken to this girl either right then, called her outside? Why wouldn't she warn the girl? Wouldn't she have wanted to tell the girl, don't go upstairs to the bathroom? Brett's going to come after you? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And, or why didn't she call the girl you know, outside of the house and talk to her about this? Or why didn't she call her that night from home on the telephone? I mean, none of this makes sense. You would think that would be the person she would talk to first. And whoever drove her home or however she got home, that person, she didn't tell that person. I mean, that isn't to say um, that all the time girls, women tell when they are assaulted. A lot of times women don't tell. Um, they hide it because they're afraid they won't be believed. They're ashamed. They, they think erroneously that they did something to cause it to happen. Um, so, yes, there are definitely reasons why girls or a 15-year-old girl or a woman um, wouldn't tell. But it's more likely, you know, a 15-year-old girl, under those circumstances, it is more likely that she would have told her friend, get out of here, this is a dangerous party to be in. But she didn't do that. Anyhow, all of these people, um, none of these people um, are, they're all, as I said before, none of them are, have any clue that anything like this happened. Now, the other day I saw a, um, a Jeremiah, also called Jerry <laughs> Hannafin, he is the man who did the polygraph. Um, and he, you know, they've made a big deal out of the polygraph. First of all, polygraphs aren't accepted in courts of law because they are not, um, they're not uh, right uh, 100% of the time or enough of the time. They're not valid enough of the time. So uh, there's that. But as it turns out, um, you would you would have thought the way they were talking about it in the Senate that this man had a- asked her a ton of questions and that she passed the polygraph, right? Well, it turns out that that's not how he does polygraphs. He has the person write down their story, and then after they write down their story, he asks them, "Is is what you wrote down true?" And another question about, you know, what they said happened. Is it true? In other words, only two questions. Two questions. This whole big polygraph that they're making a big deal out of, he only asked her two questions. Plus, this was on the day or the day after she had attended her grandmother's funeral. That, that, that certainly is something that could very well skew a polygraph. You know, presumably she was upset about her grandmother dying, 
And uh, that could well skew um, the results of a polygraph, especially when it's only two questions. She said she didn't know who paid for the polygraph, but it turned out that it was her attorney. She said she was crying a lot during the polygraph. Um, and she denied knowing whether there was an audio or a videotape of her, the, her session with the man doing the polygraph, but she assumed that it was because he had a computer. Now, I don't know whether there is or there isn't, but boy, that would be an excellent piece of evidence to get <laughs> if it exists. Um, then she was talking about going back to her own testimony, uh, Christine Ford. She was talking about how, again, saying her therapist got it wrong when she wrote that there were four boys in the room. Now, so maybe there were only three boys. Now, now I'm confused whether there were three or four boys, but I don't really think it matters. Um, well, it matters that there are all these conflicting stories. Um, now, you know, notice that there is no t- therapist coming forward, by the way, uh, at least not yet to talk about it. And it isn't clear whether there was one or two therapists that she went to because there, she was both in marital therapy and in individual therapy. And it's not clear whether it was the same therapist or not. Um, she said she didn't recall whether she gave her therapist notes to the Washington Post, which was a few months ago. But she remembers Kavanaugh from 36 years ago having sexually assaulted her. I mean, she couldn't... Rem- you know, there's, there's all this hide-and-seek going on with the therapist notes. Boy, would I love to. That's the kind of thing that uh, when I do cases as an expert witness are incredibly helpful. I'm involved in a case right now where the other side does not want to produce the therapist notes um, of the person, you know, the defendant. Um, well, the other person in this lawsuit uh, does not want to provide it. Clearly, there's something in those notes that the other side is trying to hide. And he's, you know, giving all kinds of excuses as to why, um, why he can't produce them. Uh, some of the time the wife was in the session, that was one excuse. Another time he was supposed to be the expert witness for the other side, and if he was the expert witness, then his notes would definitely have to come in. So now he's saying he doesn't want to be the expert witness. So notes, therapist notes, are super important in any kinds of cases, especially when, you know, when, especially as a matter of truth. Like, what did she tell the therapist? Did she say it was Kavanaugh? Um, did she just, that was in 2012, uh, 20, at least at least 2012, um, and then the the other therapist or the other um, the same therapist, but later that was from 2012 and after. In other words, um, so was it just when she saw Kavanaugh was mounting in the ranks, he was getting to be more uh, um, what more well known, more um, have more status than she does. Um, you know, a lot of this, a lot of his things are, are come down to a woman scorned. There's another thing. He was part of this. He went to a school, uh, a Catholic boys' school, that was a very kind of privileged school. And she went to a private school also. But clearly there was some degree of some status differential where this private boys' school was sort of higher up than her school. So did she feel that either, you know, did she, I mean, Kavanaugh said that he might well have seen her at various, at, at, at at least one school kind of event or something, or, you know, um, so did she see him and she flirted with him and he didn't re- respond, he didn't 
seem to he didn't take her up on anything. Uh, did she see other guys from his school and they weren't interested in her either? And it's really about a woman scorned that the guys from this privileged, you know, hoity-toity <laughs> uh, boys' Catholic school really didn't want to have anything to do with her. Is that again? It could be unconscious, but is that part of it? Um, then. Uh, she denied other things. She was asked about other things in her life that might contribute to her anxiety. That's a big deal. Like when when I do things that um, uh, when I do things that um, when I examine people, you know, in these in these uh, independent psychiatric evaluations, uh, and I talk to I you know mentioned that I asked about things as far back as uh, elementary school i'm also asking looking asking about looking for things in their life that might really be the source of the anxiety or whatever emotional distress symptoms they claim and are alleging happened from uh, an alleged um, assault from a man again not to say i've also been on the women's side and talked about all the you know accurate psychological um, effects of the assault. Um, And, you know, sometimes if a person has had other things in their life that provoked anxiety, particularly if it was before, it would have to be before the event that the case is about, that can make them what's called an eggshell plaintiff. That can make them more vulnerable to anxiety and other psychiatric symptoms from an assault. Then I love this part. Um... She, so she denied that there was anything else in her life that was contributing to her anxiety. Now, come on. If somebody asked you those questions, was, you know, what th- things that happened in your life that caused you anxiety, do you think you'd have more than one, whether that includes sexual assault or not? I mean, I can tell you ten things right now that are causing anxiety in my life. Um, then she talked about hoping the investigators would come to her. This was about her fear, her alleged fear of flying. That that's why she didn't come to Washington because she wanted them to come to her. You know, this is kind of an indicative of entitlement. And then the, one of the most obvious lies of all, she claimed that she had this fear of flying, right, uh, because of claustrophobia caused by Brett Kavanaugh allegedly assaulting her, right? But then the prosecutor brought out. Um, she did some good research in the short time she had. She found out that that uh, Christine had traveled to Tahiti, had traveled to many other places, uh, some for work, some for pleasure. She also talked about being, it was either a scuba diving, um, a scuba diver or a, um, uh, something to do with water that um, one would not do if one ha- had claustrophobia, first of all, you know, putting one's head uh, underwater and also um, also even like a surfing, surfing, um, even surfing, doing, if you have PTSD from a sexual assault, you do not go surfing. <laughs> because, why? Because um, you do not want to do things that... Um, make you feel as if you are back in the situation, same kind of situation, that you are putting your life at risk, that you are endangering your body. So there are a lot of things that are just do not hold water, so to speak. <laughs> That's a scuba diving water. Okay. Um, let's see. What else? Um, oh, God, I have so many, so many... <laughs> So many um, 
things that are just so infuriating that she was just allowed to keep spouting these things off. Now, uh, just to go for a minute because, uh, let's see, what time is it? Ah, goodness. Okay, I just want to touch on the other two accusers, okay? The second one is Deborah Ramirez, who claims that Brett exposed all of these things again, were in high school, uh, or one of them was in college, or no, two of them might have been in college, the second and third. But again, college, folks, we're talking 36, 30 years ago when he was a boy, a teen boy with raging hormones. I mean, he, and again, you know, if this was an accusation, if there was an accusation that could be proven that he raped somebody, that's a whole different story. But what teenage boys these days and 36 years ago don't go to parties, drink some beers, try to get some action with girls. Now, again, not rape. I am not excusing rape. I'm not even excusing anything serious sexual. But she's not claiming anything. Well, she's claiming that he, were it not for her bathing suit and were it not for his friend jumping on the bed, but were it not, you know, she's not saying that he actually did anything. Anyway, the second accuser, Deborah Ramirez, she claimed he exposed himself at a dorm room party. She has, nobody's, uh, Nobody is backing her up. Then the third accuser, Julie Swetnick, that is a joke. Um, she keeps changing her story, first of all. Her lawyer is Avenatti, who is the um, Stormy Daniels lawyer. He, uh, I've read that he is really aiming for, I mean, he's aiming for getting himself in the news. That's what he's aiming for. And he's doing a good job of that. Um, and he supposedly wants to run for president in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Um, his, um, he, he, you know, before he announced the name of the person he was representing, this Julie Swetnick, he announced her credentials. And it seemed like she had good credentials, you know, somebody who had a lot to lose if she was lying, right? But then her story is that um, Brett would spike women's drinks at parties um, when he was a teenager and um, so that they would get drunk and so that he could have you know, do something sexual to, to him. She never saw him do anything sexual. Um, she, you know, then she even changed her story and said she didn't see him actually spike the drinks. She saw him near the drinks, near like a punch bowl or something. Um, then she talked about that at these parties there were girls who were being gang raped, that there was a train of boys outside the room. She didn't exactly say he was in the train, but she was saying he was at the party. Then she changed the story to say, no, it wasn't a line of boys. It was boys huddled at the door where they would then go in and all rape some girl. Um, then she t- it turns out that she said that she was sexually assaulted or raped or maybe even with a kind of train, um, but she's not saying that it was Brett Kavanaugh. So that speaks to what I was talking about before, women who actually were sexually assaulted but not by the person that they're alleging did it. Um, uh, what else? And so her story is falling apart. Oh, the best part. <laughs> um, she actually, it turns out that they, they uncovered lawsuits against her for sexual harassment and um, also lawsuits that she filed claiming somebody else sexually harassed her. So what is going on here, folks? This is all crazy. Um, this is not, 
This is not how you, you know, this is all, it's a perfect storm is what it is of angry women. And I, you know, you might be wondering why I, am a, as a woman, I'm not an angry woman. Well, I'm angry, but not, I'm not angry at men um, for being men. Um, and uh, it's a perfect storm of women who are angry, you know, the Me Too women. And again, these women were sexually assaulted, and I don't take that away from them. But um, some of the things, you know, are more serious than others. Yes, obviously, if those who were raped, you know, of course, um, of course, the men should be punished, but not not in the court of public opinion. Um, they should go through their proper channels. And yes, for some of them, it's uh, the statute of limitations makes it too old, and so on. And then it's a combination. It's a perfect storm of women in the Me Too group and women in the pussy, the pussy hat women, the women hated, the Trump haters, the women who are Trump haters. So it's basically angry women hating men, whether they hate Trump or they hate the man who did um, sexually assault them and they're blaming it on another man or they're blaming it on the right man. Um, but certainly in the Christine... Ford case, she is not blaming it on the right man. Now, I will just say one thing. The only thing that Brett Kavanaugh did, you know, in his speech in front of the um, Senate, um, there was the one thing that he wasn't, you know, that was a little upsetting, but uh, was that, you know, a little, what, I was a little embarrassed for him, I guess. Um, he talked about, he kept mentioning beer too much. Yeah, I had a beer. Uh huh. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, I had a beer. Who doesn't drink beer? I was a kid. I was at a party. I had a beer. Beer, beer, beer. I mean, that's true. What kids, high school, college, don't have beers? But he was the way he was kind of um, perseverating on the word beer um, was a little indicative that it was a little more of a problem than he wanted us to think it was, but or that he even thought it was, but. Let's say he had he drank too many beers when he was a kid. Fine, um, is that a reason why? Uh, with all of the background checks, he talked about six background checks from the FBI that he had in the past to move up the ranks to get to be the judge that he is. Um, so, should we hold against him the fact that he had beers, <laughs> beer, 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 when he was a high school and college kid? Not unless there is something serious that one can prove that he did wrong when he was having these beers or not even when he was having these beers. Uh, something serious that he did that somehow escaped these six previous FBI investigations. That seems rather unlikely. The real uh, criminals here are the men, the fathers, the uncles, the strangers, who sexually assaulted, raped little girls and who turned these little girls into angry women who have a right to be angry, but they also need to prove that they are accusing the right man. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.